<laughs> There's some leftover notes from last Sunday's message, uh, a couple things that uh, I put together just to give you more information. We didn't have time to cover very much territory last week uh, about uh, how many know that we're not supposed to worship angels. That's the main thing, that we don't get involved, you know, with becoming so super spiritual that we forget that we're human beings and angels are lesser than we are. Because they have no promise of redemption. Those that fell, there's no provision for the redemption of angels. So you're more important than angels. And, uh, but, but yet there's a, a, such a movement all around the world to get involved in being spiritual. But it's the wrong kind of spirit. Wrong kind of spirits. Everything that's spiritual is not from God. And so uh, there are people that would rather see an angel than see Jesus. And there are people that, uh, that want to be, everything has to be supernatural, everything has to be miracle. How many know that, that if, you know, I've thought about this. Jesus said, and maybe if somebody here thinks you know, but Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour of his coming, right? right. Not even the angels of God. I've wondered why he keeps that back, that information back. You know why? I think there is a lot of Christians that are just living on the edge of Christianity. If they knew the day and the hour, they'd wait about an hour before he came, and they'd get on their knees real quick and repent of everything they ever did wrong, get right with God and know they're getting to heaven. Amen? No, we have to live like he might come today. Amen? I, I, people say, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock? I said, well, I normally get up around 4, so I'd get up and read my Bible. I spend uh, between uh, a couple hours every morning in my Bible and uh, praying and meditating, sing a little song once in a while and feed my cat. I'd feed the cat that morning, you know. And uh, my wife, first thing she asked when I get up, did you feed that kitty? She calls it a kitty. I call it a cat. And, and so I said, yeah, I've had the kitty, and I'd have my cup of coffee. And then when Jesus arrived, I'd say, praise the Lord. I've already done what is necessary for the day. Say, we don't want to be caught. We don't want to live be caught pushing the panic button. Oh, I hope he don't come today. That's the kind of preaching I came up on, you know. If you, I, one of the worst things you could do when I was a kid is go to a movie. I'd sneak out and go to movies. I'd lie and tell my parents where I was going, you know. Because if you went to a movie, you had to get on your knees next Sunday night and get saved. I got saved every Sunday night. <laughs> because, you know, I'd, I'd make promises Sunday night. I'm never going to lie again. I'll never talk back to my parents. By, by noon on Monday, I'd blown it. So I could hardly wait till next Sunday night again to get saved again. <laughs> No, we want to be ready. We want to be ready. Well, today, I want to talk about something that I really believe is so very, very important. I'd like to have you turn your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, and we're going to connect it with a lot of other scripture. And uh, it's, it's interesting to me that in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, it's a connection it's a connection. It's right on the heels of three major teachings that Jesus brought 
about number one about the lost sheep. Remember that talent, that parable of the lost sheep, and then the woman that lost one of her coins, and then a lost son. We call him the prodigal son. And then it says in verse chapter seventeen, verse one. I never saw this until recently that this is a connection. Going back to that teaching, starting in Luke chapter 15. Then he said, then he said, on the, well, verse 31 says this in the previous chapter. But he said to him, that is Abraham, down in Abraham's bosom, the place of the departed dead, all the Old Testament saints went to a place called Abraham's bosom. That was a part of a horrible place called Sheol. Sheol was the place of all the departed dead, but it had two compartments. One compartment was for the righteous called Abraham's bosom, and one was a department for the unbeliever, the ungodly people, which was a place of torment. And so this man, when he got there, that ended up in the bad place, he said, oh, please send, send Lazarus and just put one drop of cool water on my tongue because I, I'm tormenting these flames. And Abraham said, I'm sorry, I, uh, you know, Lazarus can't go from here to there. He can't communicate with you either. He can, no communication between the dead and the living. And uh, he said... He can't come over there. He said, well, then send him, raise him from the dead, and send him to my brothers. Now, listen, has anybody ever said to you, I'm going to shovel coal in hell. There's not going to be any, any, any coal. There's not going to be booze there either. No prostitution. No sinful practices. I, I mean, he said, no. You can't, you can't raise Lazarus from the dead. said, your brothers had the same thing that you had. They had Moses and the prophets. They had the word of God. They had the warnings from the word of God. How many are glad this morning we have warnings in the word of God from the word of God? This Bible is the word of God. It's not only the Word of God, it is the God. Did you hear me? This is God. Because this is God's thoughts. This is God exactly what He would do. If Almighty God the Father were to stand here in our presence, He would say the same thing that I'm saying to you as long as I'm quoting the Word of God, the true Word of God, because... God and His Word are one. So when I, when I open this Bible every morning to read, I'm reading what God is saying to me. Everything in this book is for me. Old and New Testament. I know that some of the things in the Old Testament were only foreshadows. They were something predicting something's going to be fulfilled. They came to a fulfillment. Great portions of the law, like the ceremonial law, 
We don't offer blood sacrifice and animal sacrifice. That all took place in Jesus on the cross. Amen? Right. How many know the Ten Commandments are still in force? Right. Amen. Ten Commandments are still in force. We still need a day of rest. There is a rest for all of us. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our full manifestation of our Sabbath. And in Him, there is rest. But the Word of God has never changed. And so, Abraham was telling this man, you, go, you send your brothers back to the synagogue, you get them back to the temple, get them back reconnected with God, and they will not end up in the place that you don't want them to come. You see, anybody in hell now would not wish that any one of you, there's probably people that have told you in your lifetime, go to hell. I've had a lot of people tell me that. How about you? Anybody, anybody say, go to hell? Well, if they're in hell now, they don't want you there. Nobody in, in the wrong or right mind would want anybody. That's what the Bible is teaching. This man said, I don't want my brothers to end up here. So on the heels of that teaching, listen to what Jesus said. Now, I'm a practical preacher. I, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not yet perfect. I still sin. I know I told at least one lie in the last 10 years. My wife caused a record this long, probably. I, I've still, I, still, I still fail. But I believe the word of God. I believe it's for me. And I'm not yet perfect, but I try to live my faith every day. I try to walk out what the Word of God teaches me and says for me to do. So when the Bible says here, in Luke 17, 1, Jesus said to his disciples, now after this teaching, but disciples, they don't need to be warned about these things. Go tell that to the sinners. Go tell that to the tax collectors. Jesus now is talking to his disciples. Because there are acceptable sins. How many knows that? In our society. Come on. You've got your acceptable sin. You kind of... Nurture it, you know, and you think, well, it's not so important. It's not such a big thing. It's really not going to hurt me to do a little bit of this or dabble in that. No. Jesus now is teaching his disciples some things that they possibly could have encountered or will encounter in their faith walk, in their future, the responsibility now of being a disciple of Jesus, which is not just a little minor thing. How many disciples of Jesus do we have here this morning? If you're a disciple of Jesus, that's not just a minor little thing, a minor little issue. This is big stuff. Being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, to obey his teachers, to obey his word to follow his commands, to follow his example. Wow, that's a, that's, a, uh, that's a big thing in our life. 
He said something here that is astonishing to me. Absolutely astounding. It is impossible. I thought all things were possible with God. It is impossible that no offenses should come to you boys. It's impossible. Quit struggling with the fact that you get offended. It's going to happen. Sooner or later, if we spend time together, we're going to offend each other. I'm going to say something with that intent, or maybe to get even. But it's impossible, but what offenses will come? Now, it's interesting, that word offense is the word scandalon in the Greek. It means to set a snare. It means something is going to be hidden that you will step into. Some event is going to come up that you're not prepared for. You're going to get your eyes upon the bait, but the trap is down here. A snare is set for an animal. They have an object that they think is going to be something enjoyable, something good for them, and they ignore all the warnings, the surrounder. They don't check out the trend. Well, you know, that snow's been moved. That's, that's not a real tree there. That's some sticks been put there. And, and, and it's, it's something that you're going to step in that you're not prepared for because you didn't pay attention in life. And you're going you're to get your feet in your mouth. You're going to say something. You're going to do something that's going to cause an offense or you personally are going to be caught in a trap. Now, it's not just a minor issue. You know that yourself. Now, the subject of my message this morning is don't di get disconnected by a trap, by a scandal on, by an offense. But he said these words, Woe to him through whom they do come, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Now, I like that advertisement you had on here this morning. Sure, all these little kids. I turned to Gordy and I said, that's what you have to become. Didn't I do that? That's what Jesus said. If you want to become great in the kingdom, what do you have to do? You have to become like a little one, like a little child. So he's, talk, he's not talking about little babies. It means we all need to become innocent like little children. We, know, we need to be teachable and pliable and adjustable. That's why it's so important to have all these children's ministers right down to the babies. Because we've got to get them while they're young, while their mind is open to the Spirit of God, and why they can be taught, and why something can be planted them that, that will always be there, that will be a warning system. Don't get your eyes on something that looks good. 
if it's an apple on a tree, if it was a pear, whatever it is, that forbidden fruit, and you get step in and get caught in a snare. Got to be careful. I want to tell you a story. A few weeks ago, actually, 6-25-17, I wrote it down on my notes. That's, what, a little over a month ago. I was praying from about, about 1 o'clock in the morning, somewhere between 1 and 3. I'd drift off to sleep and, and was praying in the middle of the night. I was really praying. I was really focusing on a member of our family who had just gone through almost unbelievable physical problems in their life in the last couple of years. And I was, I was really interceding, wondering, God, is there something, if there's something that I do not know, have we, have we been caught in some snare, some trap that, that limits us, Lord, from, from receiving from you? And in, in the process, I was, I was reminded of James chapter 4, where he said, you have wars and fights among you, and you desire, and you lust after things, and, and you pray, but you pray amiss. Amiss. And I thought, Lord, are we, are we praying amiss? That word means sickly. In the Greek, it means sickly, sore, diseased. Am I praying diseased prayers? Am I praying sickly prayers? Am I praying prayers that have no life in them? Is something, is something going wrong that has disconnected me from the throne room of God? Or is there some being, some, some entity between me and the prayers that's diverting my prayers some way? And suddenly I had either a vision or a dream. I'm not sure which it was. And I was in a huge field, and in this field there was a Huge generator. This generator is the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. It covered acres. Acres. And I could hear the engines, the diesel engines pumping out, just pumping, pumping out volumes of energy. Voltage. And I began to, I, I saw plugged into that circuits. And these circuits reached into hundreds of acres all over roundabout. And I followed them and I'd see some places where the lights were barely, barely even bright enough to flicker. And I'd see men out there trying to plug in to use heavy-duty equipment, and nothing was happening. And so I decided, I'm going I'm to check my circuit. And so I followed my plug-in back to, and I had a smaller circuit would include our family. See, every one of us has a circuit. No man is an island to himself. What happens to you affects somebody in your circuit. How many understand that? If you're a family, if you're, if, you're, if you're in the Schultz family, what happens to one Schultz is going to affect every other Schultz. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. This principle goes clear back to the Garden of Eden. We may get to that. So I was checking my circuit, 
And I went to one circuit. You see, we have a 200-amp circuit in our house. I wish we had a 400-amp. Because there's always new toys that you have to keep adding to, to plug into, you know. But anyway, we have limitations. And, and you can try to divert and go around things, you know, but it's kind of dangerous to do that. So every major circuit has to have a circuit breaker. And so if the, if the circuit gets overloaded, the circuit breaker is supposed to pop out. Otherwise, you have a fire. So I was checking my circuit, and I've, I came to some circuits. In my circuits connected to my life, and there was just not enough amperage to meet the need. And God began to show me something. Not only about family life. I want to say, unless I forget to say this, if there's any broken circuit in your family, one thing happens when we are born again, when we become new creatures, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. You see there in 2 Corinthians where we like to quote, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We don't go on to the next verses, which says God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. Right? So Jesus took every sinner in the world and made it possible for him to get plugged back into the main circuit, the power of God, through reconciliation. But he's given you and I, as Christians now, as disciples, we're talking about who? Disciples. If we're a disciple of Christ, and there's a broken circuit in our family, it's our responsibility to fix it. Nobody has to leave here this morning with circuits in your family broken, in your heart, in your life, you can settle it right here, right now. You can leave this place with a conscience that's cleared. From your point of view, you are ready to be reconciled with any family member that that circuit has been cut off because you have been given the power, the right, the power, the authority of reconciliation. One of the saddest things that happened in our family, several years ago, my wife's sister passed away of cancer. So we drove down to Iowa to the funeral. She was married to a preacher. Now, nobody's exempt. Because I'm a preacher, because people say I'm an apostle, some say prophet, whatever, whatever your calling is, you have no exemptions like presidential exemptions. There, there are no exemptions in the kingdom of God. What is required of you is required of me. I don't care how high or low you may feel you are, we're all on the same level. No big shots in the kingdom of God. If you have to live holy, I have to live holy. I have no edge on you. So what is required of you the laity is required of me, the ministry. I, I don't really like that word laity because it kind of uh, says there's some big shots in the church and lower shots. But, but, but the truth is, in Jesus Christ, we are all one. 
Amen. One spirit in Jesus Christ. And so we went to the funeral, and we went to the visitation the night before, and my wife and I noticed that her brother-in-law's parents and brothers and sisters were not there at the visitation. So I thought, well, maybe the parents have passed away. I mean, we've been separated for many years. And for whatever reason, they weren't there. So I thought, in my mind, I never even thought about it much. In mind, well, but they'll be at the funeral the next day. So I came to the funeral the next day, and I was supposed to lead in prayer or something, have a little part in that funeral. And we met in the office with my brother-in-law and the other pastor was there. And I said, David, I didn't see your parents at the visitation last night or your brothers and sisters. I said, are your parents still there? Oh, yes. He said, I told them they could not come to the funeral. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details, but there had been some family vibrations going on. Some issues that had never been settled. It came to the point when his wife died, he told his parents, Mom and Dad, you can't come to the funeral. Brothers and sisters, you can't come to the funeral. So she left, went to heaven without these issues being settled. Now, I see that in almost every funeral that I have nowadays. Uncle Harry won't come because... Some cousin did something to him 17 years ago. I just buried a man recently, had not seen his son, one of his sons, for 19 years. I, has, I set, saw his son sitting back in the congregation with his head bowed like this. He had two sons. One of them, the day before he, his father died, came to his stepmother and says, I want this, 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 yes. I want everything that my dad had. He was only waiting to his father breathe the last breath, so he got his inheritance. Kind of like the guy that came to Jesus. Remember that guy that came to Jesus? Now listen, folks. There's no issue in life, no offense that's ever happened to you, or you have been the perpetuator of it, that cannot be settled by simply, in your heart, saying, I'm not letting this go on one more day. I'm going to do my part. Now, if the other person refuses to repent or refuses to reconcile, that's another issue. You have cleared your conscience. But I want to tell you what it will do if you don't settle it. There's going to be a disconnect. It's going to be cause your prayers to be amiss. It's going to cause you to pray sickly, weak prayers. It's going to create something in the line, in the circuit, where there be no power, no energy released to meet your need. Now, this was serious stuff to me when I received this dream from the Lord and began to realize how important this was. When we left Ellsworth 20 years ago, and we moved back to our area, we lived, I think, three months, well, my, I don't know, it was six months maybe, building our house, whatever it took. 
Our son built a house for us. Beautiful home. We love it. But for 20, for, excuse me, for 18 years, all the plug-ins in the garage could not be used except on one wall. And I'd, want to, I'd want to vacuum my car, and I'd have to run a cord way over to that plug-in there, and my wife's got plug-ins for all of her yard equipment. I'd have to unplug them, and I'd forget, and then she'd ball me out for not putting them back in. You, you know the, the problems you have with things like that. So anyway, finally, two years ago, by the way, Tim Warner, Dr. Tim Warner from Hayward, Wisconsin, one of my favorite pastors, well, he did a lot of the wiring. A lot of people don't know that he used to be work for an electrician, and he's, he, he had a license to wire and everything. Well, he did a lot of the wiring in that house, but for some reason, that was improperly wired, and we waited for 18 years. We had talked about it for five years for him to come back up there. And he came up back once, up there once, and he got up in the attic. And I mean, here was 476 wires all going different directions. You know, which one do you check out? So he said, we, it's going to take more time. So finally, I got him to come up again. And he got, he, he got ready. I got a, one of these uh, stairways up into the attic that you pull down. He said, you know something? Before I go up there, I think I'm just going to check the light switches here. I mean, the lights up here and just see if there's any. And the first one, it took him three minutes to find the program. It took 18 years of me laboring and struggling and having fights with my wife you know, all these problems over plug, no, no plug-ins. And she was irritated. How come these, we got all these plug-ins here and none of them work? He got up on a step ladder and said, well, I'll be. We forgot to put this one wire. He, no, he said, somebody. I said, Tim. <laughs> Isn't it so hard to admit the little things? It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And he simply put that in under the screw, screwed it down, and he said, Paul, would you? I said, gladly, I'll try one of them. I tried every one of them, every one of them worked. As God began to deal with me about disunity, I mean, I've been praying and seeking God for years, trying to find the secrets of prayer, the secrets of the power of God. I believe the book of Acts, the 28th book of Acts, 100% just like Luke wrote them. I believe everything that's in there is an example. This is where the way the church was birthed is the way that it should function not only for the first 33 years, but throughout the history of the church, the very same power, this great dynamo, this huge dynamo that covered acres, I realized that represented the throne of God and the power of God and the supply of the Spirit that's being pumped out 24 hours a day. So there has to be something wrong on the other end and not saying, God, you don't do things like you used to do. 
I've heard that theology. Oh, God is not the same. God doesn't work like that. He don't have apostles and prophets any longer. He don't have a power of God to heal the sick. We don't have that same dynamic. Yes, it's, it's still been pumping out for 2,000 years. There's something about the, the circuits that's missing. And so in the first six chapters... Of the book of Acts, I discovered something, an amazing truth, simple. We've always heard that word on the day of Pentecost, and they were all in one accord, in one place. I found 37 statements. Now, you might find 40. If you do, please text them to me. I found 37 statements in the first six chapters of the book of Acts related to being one, one accord, together, joined. And I saw both the negative and the positive. I always used to wonder, why was it such a big deal when the church in Acts 4 and 5 had made an agreement together as a whole body. You see, they were all in one accord in one place, but then they, they begin to fellowship together as though they were one, and there's nobody in the whole body. By this time, there was at least 8,000 new converts added to the church, and there was not one of them, not one of them that said, you know, everything I own, that big boat, that's mine. That snowmobile, they had snowmobiles back there too. That's my snowmobile, that's mine. I mean, the, those, those, those guns, all my toys, these are mine. I, I got to have them to survive. No, not one of them said whatever they had belonged to them, but they, they begin to sell everything that they had. Why? Because there were hundreds of thousands of people coming into Jerusalem because of persecution all of the known world. Jews that had been taken away their place were sent back. You've got to go back home. And they suddenly have thousands of problems on their hand. Nobody had anything. And so they, they covenanted together to pool their energy and their resources and their faith and their love and their care and their mercy and their kindness and their they pooled it can you imagine this tremendous pool of christian character pooled together for people that had needs and even a levite by the name of joseph or you will call him barnabas a levite from the island of Crete sold his land and brought it and laid it to the apostles' feet. And there was a couple in the church by the name of Annas, Ananias, and Sapphira. They did the same thing. But after making covenant, after being joined, after being together, after being a part, a connected, an unbroken connection, just between, just like a connection between a husband and wife. Whatever God has joined together, let no man break apart or cut apart or cut asunder. They were in agreement. They agreed with everybody else, and they make it, made it appear, hey, 
we're going to do the same thing. Now, the fact that they kept back part, see, when they kept back part, they kept back part of their heart. They kept back part of their oneness, their togetherness. They severed something. They, they together, they said secretly. Now, nobody knows the difference. We, we got $200,000 gold coins for this land. Nobody's going to the difference. We keep back 40 of it. And so when Peter came, and they, they, I evidently brought the money to Peter, Peter said, well, what's this for? Oh, we're joining in. We're giving everything, just like everybody else. Peter says, why is it Satan has put it into your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And one of them died. Instantly. Instantly. The, the deacons came, carried the young man, carried him off and buried him. A little while later, Sister Sapphira came in. Hello, Sister Sapphira. Oh, loving Brother Peter, it's so wonderful to see you. He said, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? Why have you agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit? And she dropped dead. What's the big deal? The big deal is they disconnected the body. See, when we study 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 11, excuse me, it talks about the body of Christ as though we're not just all part of us down the road here, 10 miles, part of us live up north, part of us live south. We are one in Christ. We are members, just like if I cut off this finger, I've got an ingrown toenail. I want to tell you, I've been suffering with that ingrown toenail. It aches up here. I can't tell you why. It should be just confined to that one little toe. It's the, one, it's the third toe from my right Little toe, whatever one that is. But it makes my whole foot hurt. Sometimes it hurts in my knee. But it certainly hurts up here. That little toe, yes, it's part of the body. You say, well, I'm insignificant. I'm just a little toe. I'm just a toenail. I'd like to applaud all the toenails here. Because <laughs> you are so important to the body of Christ. I don't care. In fact, as it says, those that seem to be the most insignificant, what we do, we give them the more honor. Right. You see, we've not paid attention to the importance, the power, the power that flows through us. But a lot of it never gets anywhere. It kind of gurgles around on the inside of us because we have disconnected. It's amazing all the spiritual people that I meet. I say, what part of the body of Christ are you connected to? Well, uh, it's just kind of Jesus and me. I don't believe in church membership. I remember when, way back in 1964, my wife and I moved to Duluth. We was pulling a trailer, pulled into a gas station. We kind of lost, didn't know how to get into Duluth proper. They didn't have all the freeways and everything at that time. 
pull into a gas station and getting some, I had a tire problem, that was it. So as this guy's fixed my tire, he asked me who I was, and I said, well, I'm coming here to pastor church. Oh, what church? And I told him. I said, what church are you part of? He said, oh, I don't believe in churches. Oh, you don't? I said, then you don't believe in being a Christian, do you? Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And we spent two hours on that tire debating the issue whether you should be a part of a church or not. I said, well, are you a part of the body of Christ? Well, he said, kind of. I said, what part are you? Because I don't know, there are some parts of people's body I want anything to do about. It's the out, it's the stuff you cast off, you know. So I thought, well, maybe he's one of them. I had to repent of that thought. But, but anyway, this guy was so spiritual that there's no church in... That city had 125,000 people that time. It's down to about 80,000 now, I think, something like that. They had a steel plant there and everything. I mean, and, and they had churches, all kinds of churches, but not a one of them was spiritual enough for him to join. I said, you know, you must be something, you must have been a guy that some of your relatives must have mentored the Apostle Paul. Why? I said, well, the first, one of the first things that Saul of Tarsus did after he got saved, after he was discipled by Ananias, filled with the Holy Spirit and got his sight back and got connected to Barnabas, he wanted to join the church at Jerusalem. And guess what? He didn't qualify. They was afraid of him. You can read it yourself. You can read it yourself. He did not qualify. They would not accept him. We don't want any disconnects. We've heard about you. We're not sure you're a believer. He wanted to. Later, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that they that Barnabas took them up and met the apostles personally, and they gave him and Barnabas together the right hand of fellowship. How many's glad that you can receive the right hand of fellowship? How many's not ashamed to be a part of this church? If you're not a member, you need to join, if there is a joining. No. I don't want to be a part of a circuit where there are unbroken connections. Now, in the process, in my dream of searching for the solution, I found two major problems. Three major problems, excuse me. A weak circuit breaker, because some people handle bigger loads than others. How many understand that? You've got to have some people in your life that can, can handle a big load. I, I believe in accountability. I met with a pastor last week, and, and he said, I've been watching you for two years. He said... Is there any way I, I could be accountable to you? I said, well, we're going to have to get together and talk about this. I want you to understand what accountability is. How many believe there should, we should be accountable with some people who can handle big loads? Amen. Everybody can't handle the same load. If you've got something that takes 400 amps and you've only got a 15-amp circuit breaker, you're in trouble. If you're trying to plug into 110 and you've got a big welder... 220 or 440, you're really in trouble. You're going to burn up everything. 
then some people have their connections corroded. How many know sin is a corrosion? Did you know that the first couple that was ever married in the Bible got separated because one of them listened to the voice of desire, lust, appetite, and partook of the fruit. And God said, through her husband, God told Adam, then he told his wife, that we can eat of any tree in this garden. Any of them. Except that one, because in the day, in the moment, we're day there talking about the part of the day that you're living in right now. In the moment that you eat that fruit, you will die. But guess what? Adam had a problem. The first disconnect took place in, in the perfect environment. People say, one reason I don't want to connect to church is because it's imperfect. How many raise your hand and say you're imperfect? Then, then, we, then, then we sell the issue. We're all imperfect. We're all imperfect. But in a perfect environment, they disconnected. How many know that Adam, for I don't know how long it took, Adam was married for a dead, to a dead woman for a short period of time. She had a decision to make. She took it and then handed it. Can you see her handing it? Adam got his eyes off God and off of the word of God. And, hey, that looks pretty good. Baby, you've got something I need. That's, that's what everybody's looking for. Baby, you've got something I need. Be careful you don't get disconnected before you get married. Now, I believe that every young person in this church needs to make sure you're marrying a believer. You're setting yourself up for a disconnect. Oh, I can't tell you how many young ladies have been in my office, normally with my wife, thank God. We're talking about getting married, and I'd say, now, are you sure he's a believer? Are you sure he's a Christian? Well, you know, I'm going to make him one, because he loves me. I mean, all a woman's love is not enough to make you a Christian. No. I said, and I've made this a principle in my ministry. Don't walk the, down the aisle to the altar with somebody that's never been to the altar themselves. Is there anybody who would say, man, I'm getting nervous up here. I, I'm talking about these beautiful three sons you've got. One day they're going to want to get married, right? How about you? You want to get married someday? How about you? How about you? Well, sure. I, I thought girls were pretty at my age. 
Anybody? Were girls pretty at your age, Gordy? Are they, is she still pretty? Say it, she can't hear way back yes. there. Say to her, stand up and look at her and say, you are beautiful. Come on, get up there. Get up there, do it. Hey. But the Bible says beauty is vain. Sorry, Rose. <laughs> there has to be a whole lot of other qualities. How many's getting the message? We can't disconnect. Uh, I, tell you, I know I told you last week I'm going to take you to 2 o'clock, and I didn't. I won't do that this morning. But how many understand? I mean, the Bible is so full of this principle of disconnect. Now, Adam and Eve got reconnected. For only one reason. Because God covered them. God covered them with animal skins. That means he had to shed blood of an innocent victim to do it. And Jesus covers us. The good news is we may have gotten disconnected. But I want to tell you something, just like the prodigal, there's, you cannot go far away from home that you can't get back. And the Father's message is, it doesn't matter how many years you've been gone or where you have been, how low you have gotten, the lowest position that a Jew could ever be would be to take care of hogs. I mean, that was the ultimate humility. And to eat hog food. Now I want to tell you, the devil's got a lot of pig food out there for us to feed on. But I don't care where you've been. You may be filled with filthy rags. You may smell like a sewer. But the Father will be there open wide, and he's not going to send his servants. I want you to go to Goodwill and get the cheapest garment you have. We're going to put this boy on probation before we redress him again. He said, go and get the best robe. He will cover you today. But you've got to make the first step of repentance. Say, I'm tired of these dirty clothes. I'm tired of being... A disconnect. I don't want to be disconnected from any member of my family. I'm going to, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do my part to reconnect. You're going to get rid of the corrosion. Then you're going to inspect, inspect those areas. What caused this to... Well... I never got properly connected to begin with. I grew up with jealousy in our family. I grew up like Jacob and Esau, hating each other. And they never did reconnect properly. They went their different ways, became two nations. I've got a friend in France right now. I told Pastor Don about him. He knows who he is. He's one of my spiritual sons in France. He and his father got disconnected. His father disconnected from him. Probably going back about 12, 15 years ago. His, family, his father became so 
engrossed in this offense that he persuaded all of his other sons and daughters to disassociate with my spiritual son. Two weeks ago, his father had a stroke. And he lay in the hospital, not able to talk, not even able, able to reason at all. And I talked to my spiritual son on the phone, and I said, we're going to pray. We're going to believe that, that God is going to make a way for him to awaken enough to, for things to be right. And when he woke up, he turned to his son and said, son, forgive me for what I did to you. God dealt with his spirit while he was in this comatose condition, whatever you call it. And they were reconciled. Reconciled. And I know there's people that leave churches for legitimate reasons and non-legitimate reasons. There's some churches that I wouldn't want to be a part of. But I don't have to destroy reputations and gossip and talk about other people in order to defend my position from making my own decision. You, you are in command of your own choices. You can decide what you want to do here this morning. But I'm telling you that there's a power that you can plug in that will never be exhausted. There's absolutely nothing that can destroy this church. The gates of hell themselves, if you was the only church in the state of Wisconsin and everybody was against you, all the devils of hell were against you, and every other church or every other religious group was against you, there was nothing they could do as long as you remain in unity and harmony together with no disconnects. One of the sad stories in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, one day a group of apostles prophesied over Paul and Barnabas. And the Holy Spirit says, send them out into the harvest field. And so they laid hands upon them with prophecy, the laying on of hands, and the Bible says, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit. But there's another little part of the story. A young man by the name of John Mark joined with them. Joined with them. Made a commitment. Made a covenant. I'm going with you all the way. And his enthusiasm. How many know it's tougher out there than you think it is? And about halfway, they started climbing over the mountains to go to a different city. And, and he got homesick for mama's cooking and whatever happened. And John Mark left them and went back. And they went on the journey by themselves. Established a lot of churches. Visited the churches on the way back. Ordained elders wherever they went. Then they had the great, disc, the, the, the great uh, uh, controversy in Acts 15. At the end of that, when everything was settled... Then Paul and Barnabas were part of the commission sent to bring the written words that it's not necessary for you to Gentiles to follow all the rules and regulations of Judaism. Everybody's happy. They're on the way, all ready to go. And finally, the Bible says that 
They decided, okay, we're going back. And Bartimaeus said, okay, I'm going to go get John Mark. Wait a minute. No, you're not taking John Mark with us. Because he, he was a sissy. He didn't stay with the work. No, I, 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 just, I, can't, I can't tolerate that young man. And the Bible says the conflict was so great that they what? Separated. Separated. Now, the good part of that story is that Barnabas took John Mark, and now they've formed two teams. So, in fact, is the, the language of the Greek is that Paul literally exploded. Anybody here ever exploded in anger? Some, uh, that's hard for us to admit that we have an anger. Anybody, none, none of us here were so, so docile. We don't have an anger problem. No, that, that's not me. Probably the way Paul felt. But he, he exploded. I mean, it was a severe thing. I mean, it, it, it made history in the book of Acts. They separated. Now, you can, you can dissect that word any way you want to be, but it boils down to the fact they disconnected with each other. They broke fellowship for a period of time. But a little later on, when Paul matures a little bit, you know, and he discovered about something about 1 Corinthians 13, which he wrote himself, by the way, because he learned it. <laughs> he writes back, when he's writing to Timothy, he said, Hey, there's somebody I need desperately. Send John Mark to me because he, he what? He is profitable. He that was unprofitable 10 years ago, now I desperately need him. See, there's a reconciliation. How many get the get, get anything this morning? Any, get any part of the message? Good. Stand with me. Stand with me this morning. Maybe I'll get invited back some other time and we'll preach the other two hours of this message. <laughs> I don't want to wear you out and create an offense. Yeah, no. But I'm talking to anybody here that, that just run four, I don't want to be four inches. I don't want to be like that wire that Tim Warner found. He measured it. I said, I, 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 somehow, sometime in the future, I'm going to preach on this. It took... It was two years ago he did that. It was about a quarter of an inch away from the connection. That's how far you can have to get away from God to be disconnected. Right? Come on. I like to, these kind of connectors where you push them in and then you have to turn them. I don't know what electrician, you, you know what I'm talking about? You push, you push them in. Maybe that's overseas they got them. But you push them in and it turns. And I tell you, you can't pull. Two horses couldn't pull them apart. I want to become so welded, so glued, that's what the word means. Concerning marriage, two of them shall be joined, glued with super glue. You plug them in and turn it, they cannot be pulled apart. I want to be so close to God and so close to one another that there is Full access flowing through the whole body of Christ. Amen. So nobody's left out. Amen? Amen. 
If you've just slipped a little ways from God, I'm not saying you're on your way to hell. I'm not saying you're backslidden. But, but if you're not totally plugged in, I, I want to invite you this morning. I want you to make a step of faith and say, I'm going to be committed to the body of Christ. If you're not where you should be, find where you should be and settle in there and do something vital for the kingdom of God. Thank God for committed worship leaders, Sunday school teachers. I, I hope some volunteers come to you and say, I think you're supposed to get, get so many people say, I just got plugged in this morning, and you're not going to have room for all of them. Huh? Amen. So if you're not fully engaged, I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to keep one eye open. I'm going to pray. And if you want to fresh, make a fresh commitment to the Lord, by the way, you should receive some notes this morning. Of uh, I had a couple questions last week, so I prepared a couple sheets about angels and so forth just to help you in your Bible study. But if you want prayer, if you want to make things right with somebody, if you want to make it right with somebody else here or a family member, you take the step. You say, well, if they'll take the step, you take it. You take it. God made the step. He didn't wait. God made the step, right? God proved his love for us. But he, he sent his son. He didn't wait and say, well, I'm going to wait. This world gets in such terrible condition. Finally, they're going to come running to me. No, God ran towards you. The father ran to the particle. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the power the power that was released on the day of Pentecost, the power that we can engage within in our life, Lord, the power resources from the cross that's reaching out to us right now. Lord, I pray that people here this morning will reconnect, reconnect, Lord, with, without any hesitation, Lord. If there's anyone here in my voice, Lord, that is just a quarter of an inch away, Lord, that they will reconnect with you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this house. I thank you for these wonderful people. Bless them today. Bless Pastor Don and his wonderful wife and the, the leaders of this church, Lord, that work together. Thank you for the youth program. Thank you for the children's program. Thank you, Lord, for, for ways to touch lives in this community. Honor them. With a great harvest, we pray. And we bless them right now. Let, let the doorways of healing touch individuals right now. I want to tell you something. That healing virtue has been released 2,000 years ago. If there's no disconnect, if there's no prayers that are amiss, then you can tap in right now, Lord. Heal people that are in this place right this moment. Let there be a healing wave touch their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name.